City 2000. Oh, uh, I am uh, Jason McMaster, and my game of the week is not Uncharted 3. Hi, my name is Blair Fraser, and my game of the week is not Bubbles. <laughs> bubbles? Just regular Bubbles? It's just called Bubbles. It's a, an iPad app that my my son just can't get enough of, and it drives me crazy. <laughs> Uh, all right, so no bubbles for Blair Frazier. Uh, Blair, you are coming to us from a foreign country known as Canada, where you run uh, a company known as, uh, is Ironclad technically, it's Ironclad Games, right? Yes. Ironclad Games, you are chiefly known as a purveyor of fine space porn. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, and if I had my druthers, Blair, you and I could just, I could just, actually you and I wouldn't even talk. I would just sit here for an hour and tell you how awesome I think uh, a Sins of a Solar Empire is. Um, but you've probably had enough of that from folks. Uh, and plus, you've got a new project that I, I spent a little bit of time with that I want to, to hear from you about. Um, but before we do that, I'd like to segue into it by asking you uh, a kind of a dick question. Are you ready for this? Yep. This is this is my this is like uh, this is the hostile press at work, Blair. Here we go. Aren't MOBAs played out? Oh God. <laughs> now, real quick, before we get into no, 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 no. Well, okay. we'll just. I mean, I do want to hear how you respond to that. But first, I just want to go around the room and take everybody's kind of uh, temperature in terms of how much have they played MOBAs, how much are they into the genre. Uh, and then, Blair, I just wanted to, to give you a little time to think about how to respond to that question. But first, McMaster, everybody knows you love Guardians of Middle-Earth. Um, you, <laughs> you have dabbled with some other MOBAs. McMaster, <laughs> give us your MOBA bona fides. Um, I've played, at this point, probably, I don't know, several thousand games of League of Legends. Um and quite a few games of Dota 2, Dota, uh, etc. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've, I've played a bit. And is it it's a genre that you... I would say anybody who's played that much League of Legends, you, you we could put you on this podcast as our, our MOBA expert. Um, yes, as long as it's League of Legends-based for the most part. Okay. <laughs> uh, now, I'm a casual MOBA player. Uh, it, I haven't played anywhere near that much League of Legends. I've certainly spent some time with it. I play a lot of Demigods. Um, haven't, looked, uh, haven't looked at Valve's new thing much. Played just enough Guardians of Middle-Earth to know that McMaster is crazy. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just teasing because I do think I can understand why some people like Guardians of Middle-Earth. Uh, that one just didn't work for me for reasons that we can talk about in a little bit. Um, so, so Blair, you are talking to basically one expert and one dilettante. So, when we say to you, hey, aren't MOBAs played out, what do you, as a guy who's making a MOBA, have to say to that? I say I said that a lot 
when I was younger, when FPS games were getting popular and RPGs were making a comeback, uh, I looked at, you know, said, oh, there's so many, it's getting saturated, and and yet I here I am, 30-something, and they're still going strong. They continue to evolve, uh, sometimes drastically, sometimes incrementally, but they created healthy ecosystems. Uh, and when I look at the mobile genre, I really see it, and most of Ironclad it does too, uh, it, it's in its infancy. I mean, it started with the, the, the Warcraft 3 mod, Dota, mm-hmm. and it's really only been commercialized for one generation after that, and, and now you've got kind of a two and a half or third generation type, uh, spearhead going. And I, I think it's got a lot of legs, um, and it's gonna go for a long time yet, as long as people continue to, um, push the genre in different ways and add new ideas. Uh, I think it can be as big and as long-lasting as FPSs, RPGs. Name the genre that's been successful, and uh, MOBAs can fit into that. Uh, what is the deal with calling them MOBAs? Isn't that a horrible name, an acronym, and can we, can we somehow change that before it catches on? Is it too late? It's too late. We tried, yeah. to, res- we tried to resist it ourselves. Um, I, and I know other companies have, but it's caught on, and... Uh, we have no choice but to embrace it. Um, <laughs> so, you, don't, you don't want to use arts? What's that, my master? A- Action RTS is what we started with. Um, yeah, that's a uh, Gabe like that one, too. Yeah, but most every almost every media person that I talked to and fan and everyone else, they all turned it back around and called it a MOBA. So um, who are we to fight it? I mean, culture takes weird roots and language takes weird roots. And it, it rides on something, it gains momentum, and it just holds. So I'm okay with it now. I, I had someone suggest, um, I believe in a comment section, I, I apologize for not being able to attribute it to the person who brought it up. Someone suggested Tower Offense game. <laughs> How do you guys feel about that? Um, I like that. <laughs> it, it, I can see where it's coming from, but I think there are actually Tower Offense games that are, are different. Like... Um, it's you trying to. It's like tower defense, but um, it's you trying to bust through the tower defense. That's what a MOBA is, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, I guess from a really high level. But I, it sounds like you're not buying this, player. Sounds like it's not no. going to take with you. <laughs> well, I also saw there's a game uh, called Anomaly War Zone, uh, and they've got a sequel coming up, and they they do call themselves a tower offense game. And it's a tower defense game, but you basically play the creep. Uh, so that that phrase is already so someone's already using it, and I guess I think you're right, Blair. We just have to submit to MOBA as a term, even if we don't like it. Um, Blair, what makes uh, a MOBA? A, what, what would you describe as the defining characteristics of of this genre? Oh wow, um, that's that's a big question too. It's kind of one of those. We just throw all the variables into the neural net and say it comes out with a yes or no. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's any one thing that, that, that is a must, but I mean certain common features would be like uh, multiple lanes, team-based play, uh, selecting multiple heroes who have a limited s- selection of abilities. There's a common shop. Uh, you level up. You mm-hmm. gain gold by killing creatures and use that to improve your skills, or the, the XP to improve your skills, and mm-hmm. the goal to buy ability, or, uh, items. Um, 
That's good. I, I like that. Uh, yeah. that, that. That's close enough. I, I mean, I can certainly go into more detail, and, but uh, that's the gist of it. Yeah. Uh, a quick semantic uh, tangent. Are MOBAs real-time strategy games? I would say yes uh, from the more general sense, but from someone in with my history in developing and playing RTS games, I would say no, but from a high-level point of view, they are. Now explain play. that to... Go ahead, sorry. Uh, in, in the general sense, you're playing a strategy game in real time. But, again, due to culture and the way language moves, if you're steeped in the, in the, um, the genre or the gaming environment, it, it's taken on extra baggage, extra meaning. And when I hear RTS, I think resource acquisition, multiple unit control, uh, base building... And, uh, you know, stuff like that, like a lot of the traditional RTS concepts. Um, so I'm always careful to know, you know, what, what's the context of how I'm talking about RTS, and, you know, so I know which one. One of the arguments that I've heard, which I, I'm not sure I particularly buy, but I can understand why someone would make this argument for a MOBA not being an RTS, is that it plays in terms of the moment-to-moment interaction, the direct player control the immediate experience the player is having when he's playing it, that it plays a lot more like an action RPG, like Diablo. Um, that, and that that's an argument to be made, that, hey, no, MOBAs are action RPGs. Uh, I don't buy that, but I think that's one of the arguments that I've heard presented. Yeah, I don't buy that either. I mean, I understand where it's coming from, but it's, it's different. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly it, implies a lot of more tactical play when there actually can be a lot of strategy. Yeah. Well, and as far as the framework for that experience, I mean, it might feel like I'm clicking on my Diablo character to kill a bunch of monsters when I'm fighting creeps, but the framework for that experience, you know, a, a two-team match, uh, you know, a lot of uh, inter-character strategy with the other guys on my team, uh, the concept of a, a character build and all, all those details, like a lot of that, I think that framework exists much more comfortably. It, uh, RTS players are much more comfortable and familiar with that framework than action RPG players. Uh, and I do think real-time strategy, it's a big tent. You know, the original real-time strategy game, Herzog's Vi, you didn't control multiple units. You just had one unit. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're, uh, uh, Brutal Legend and uh, Sacrifice are both RTSs, and you only control one unit. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to go down this tangent, but I, I feel that... Uh, Calling MOBAs real-time strategy games is is not a controversial thing, uh, and, and to some people it is. To some some people take issue with that, and I find that a little curious. So, uh, all right. So uh, so Blair, you then. Uh, okay, here's another question for you, Blair. What on earth is going on with League of Legends? Why did that take off so incredibly quickly, and why is that so big? Oh wow. Um... There's a lot of answers to that. The first answer is probably to do with, uh, wow, World of Warcraft. Um, Let me back this up a bit and then get into some more detail. Um, I think WoW was kind of playing itself out, and I think there are a lot of people who had learned the concepts of, you know, using abilities in real time uh, in combat and they liked leveling up their stuff. They liked getting gear. They liked team fights. But I don't think the team fight system in WoW was all that great. 
Uh, I don't know if it's improved since. I haven't played it in a long time. And so you had this generation of people who were somewhat trained in a lot of the the underlying uh, hand-eye uh, mechanics, the, the thinking patterns and everything, and uh, I think it translated very well into this, you know, uh, action RTS MOBA type thing where you can go out and do all this stuff, and it's, it's basically been boiled down just to 40 minutes of, you know, leveling up, feeling powerful at the end, kicking some butt, killing some noobs, getting cool gear, and then going at it again. Um, and they had all the tools and skills to be able to move into that easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, what really, I think what really uh, made it more accessible as well than traditional RTSs is, is you were just dealing with one unit. Uh, so I think that broadened the, the demographic quite a bit. Um, and then it, as people... I just want to say to... That, that that is a, uh, a, a big hurdle for newcomers to to get over when it comes to most real-time strategy games just the the mindset of of multitasking you know managing different units managing an economy that that micro macro distinction that that just drives me that that cripples me in starcraft 2 uh you know that that's not part of of uh league of legends of of a moba Um, yeah and imagine now not only are you just controlling one unit but you've got a huge generation of people who were playing something arguably more complex with World of Warcraft uh, and then moving to this like the, the, it wasn't that big of a jump in my mind uh, 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 go ahead. Go, well uh, McMaster what, what, get in here so you as somebody who's played a lot of League of Legends uh, do you feel there's anything like what, what do you feel is responsible for it doing so well well there's a few things. I think you're you're correct in your World of Warcraft assumption. Uh, a lot of World of Warcraft players, even current ones, play League of Legends. Um, but I think a large portion of it was the Dota community um, at, at, at just at the get go being Blizzard game based as well. Um, I think they kind of moved to League of Legends because it was just a cleaned up version of it. The graphics are very very easy to tell apart, like a, a very World of Warcraft, very Blizzardy, um, and uh, I just think that uh, it, it appealed to the certain nature of people wanting to have a online identity where oh I'm really good at this guy or I'm really good at that guy, and the whole like esports thing falling into place. Yeah, uh, Starcraft. Yeah. Uh, StarCraft 2 and StarCraft being a huge part of that as well. Um, I think that, that really just kind of spurred it on. And, um, and one of the original designers of Dota designed League of Legends, and I think that huge community they had built in was just a huge boon, and then that community spread across two different games like StarCraft, uh, the StarCraft community, the uh, Street Fighter community, that kind of thing. Any competitive... Uh, head-to-head kind of stuff is going to be popular with a certain type of personality, and uh, I think that they just hit it just at the right time, really. That's a great point, McMaster. I mean, it definitely did tap into these and unite these kind of disparate niches, didn't it? Uh, yeah. With, with its unique appeal. Um, that's the thing is, like, the fighting game tournament is, you know, it's still big and everything, but people, for the most part, still have to go to them. They have to do whatever, whatever, but you can sit and compete 
something like League of Legends, uh, which you can do for free initially, um, you know, at any point, anywhere you want. I, I think that had a huge deal. And I, I think also you can't ignore the impact of Riot Games' business model. You know, oh. these guys did free-to-play right. I mean, they they offer a lot of content without having to pay any money. There's not a sense of them being mercenary in terms of how much money you spend. Uh, they offer you a lot of alternatives to spending real money. Um, and this this has, you know, Blair, you mentioned the World of Warcraft feel of, of leveling up and kicking ass. You know, that's compressed in the, the length of a match, but they also have that kind of persistence over the long term with their system of, I don't even remember what they're called, glyphs, runes, whatever. Uh, yeah, rune pages and uh, yeah. gems. And, and your, uh, your masteries as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's, so there's a lot of that longer term MMO, not grinding, but, but progression, progression and persistence. Um, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Sorry. Uh, but Master, tell us what's going on with Valve's uh, Dota 2. Uh, so that's yeah. still in beta, right? Right, and that was another thing I was kind of going to mention is, like, League of Legends did have one of the longer betas, I can recall, as well. Mm-hmm. So those guys really did go at that for a really long time uh, before release. But Dota, yeah, Dota's... I haven't actually played it in a while, but last time I did, they were just kind of adding characters and adding functionality to the client, uh... And uh, minor tweaks. It's not like, I mean, they they've pretty much hit their goal of making it an updated looking Dota. And they're not. Are they taking money for it yet? Like it's not live. It's in beta. Can you actually buy stuff for Dota two at this point? I do not know, but I almost want to say that you can like pre-order it or something to get into it now or something. Or was it maybe they just gave everybody four million codes and that's why there's so many people <laughs> now. Uh, and now, before we touch on your your specific uh, what you've got coming up, Blair, for for this genre, uh, I just want to mention a couple of notable ones. Uh, so, McMaster, explain what's going on when I'm teasing you about Guardians of Middle Earth. Uh, uh, Guardians of Middle Earth was released. Uh, oh God, who was that? It's the people who do uh, Fear, right? Uh, uh, so it's Warner Brothers Interactive Publishing, right. Monolith, Monolith Development. Monolith, right? Yeah, um, and it. As far as like a console version of a game, uh, it it really it controls well. Uh, it, it has a really good feel to it. Um, it gets a little boring, uh, kind of quick, just because of the lack of characters, and there's only like one or two that are useful. Um, but that, that's certainly one reason. Tom says I I gave it such praise. I like the game. But uh, it just doesn't have legs, really, after a certain point. Right, and you did enjoy it, and you were playing it with, uh, you know, we have some mutual yeah, friends that were playing it, so you were enjoying it in that context. Uh, and then when I finally came to try it, I was just so turned off by it. It didn't work for me on several levels. Um, it, mainly the theming, I thought. There was just really nothing there for me. But <laughs> it's I think a weird theme. It's a it's real a, weird theme. It's a really weird use of the theme, and I would argue not much of a use at all uh, of the right. theme. Uh, and, and another big problem for me, McMaster, with Guardians of Middle-Earth is a game called Awesome Knots, which yeah. is a, a MOBA built for console controls. It's also on a PC, but it's pretty much built to play with a gamepad. Um, and there's just a lot of it, – it has a unique perspective – uh, literally, on MOBAs by playing like a side-scrolling kind of platformer. Uh, and I, I really like what those, those guys have done. You know, when I say isn't the genre played out, I'm being completely disingenuous because you look at guys like 
Geronimo Games with Awesome Knots, they've done something really cool and unique and refreshing. Uh, and Uber. Hi-Res hi has a Smite, which is really good. Yes, Uber has Smite, uh, Monday Night Combat, which is like a first-person shooter. Actually, it's right. a third-person, first-person, but at any rate, it's like a shooter, it's but it's in the... Yeah, and it's in the context of uh, a MOBA. Um, so, and also recently we had some bad news. There was a, I didn't even really know about this until I heard it was shutting down. There's a Warhammer-themed MOBA called Wrath of Heroes uh, uh -huh. that was free to play, that EA was running, uh, and that it, I think they just announced will be shut down at the end of the month. Um, oh, that sucks. I didn't know about it either. Yeah, uh, and I still at my house here play Demigod fairly regularly, uh, usually once a month or so with a group of friends. So, so uh, am I skipping any major current players in the the MOBA genre, guys? If I miss uh, anyone, <laughs> not really. Heroes of New Earth. Well, yeah. Oh, of course, those poor guys. Yeah. Oh, that's why I said not really. <laughs> well, they, they well, it kind seems, of it seems hurtful, but that's true. Well, you know, they have a different approach to League of Legends. You know, they were, I think, some they were in a, in ways less accessible. Like, don't they do some of the more the mechanics were, like hit denial and stuff? Like, isn't yes, that yeah. part of Heroes of New Earth? They're they're basically being replaced by Dota two because that was really all they were trying to do. I think with their model, in fact. When I was in the League of Legends uh, beta, the Heroes of New Earth beta was going on as well. And um, I went to check it out. And I remember the initial message they had up on their page was, we have permission from the person who created Dota to make a game just like Dota. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that tells everybody exactly what's going on there. So Now, can yeah. someone... Oh, go ahead, Blair. Sorry. Uh, ask your question. Well, can someone explain to me in layman's terms, what is this hit denial thing and why is it a big deal? It means you you kill your own units to prevent the enemy from getting gold by killing them. Right. And you so you have to time it right before you, but right yes. before, like I'm not going to sit there and just kill my own dudes so no, nobody no, else no. can kill them. I'm going to be there at the front line where someone else's dude is attacking my creeps and right, right before he gets in that last hit, I'm supposed to time the killing blow to deprive him of getting the reward for it? Yeah, exactly. Huge part of the metagame in those games. Like, well, it's a huge part of the metagame in League of Legends as well, uh, on one side, but they just remove hit denial. The whole part point uh, of you being up close to the front is you're trying to time your hits specifically. That's why people click like crazy in those games. To, um, uh, to get the exact last hit so you get the gold. Uh, for it. So, yeah, in Dota and games like that, you can hold, like, uh, I think it's either Control or Shift, and uh, click a unit, and you'll attack it. Um, but, yeah, you have to kind of be really on top of it, and I, I'm not a huge fan of that mechanic myself. So, Blair, is the guy making a MOBA? Do you know? Does anybody want that? Uh, we said no. Um, we've gone even... The, the general trend has been towards away from that kind of hard, hardcore... Uh, mm -hmm. Element stuff, I, I think. Um, like, Heroes of New Earth was uh, pretty much a, a high quality uh, reproduction of the D Dota mechanics, of which uh, denying is just one of many different uh, decisions that, you know, League of Legends changed uh, and other games started to change, including our own stuff, uh, because it's just so hardcore in, in my mind. And, and it they often have perverse or inverse uh, incentives. Uh, so, you know, we try and work around that stuff or redesign it. 
Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, yeah, you don't have to use denial at all. It's just one of those things where if someone is, gets good at it, it it's certainly uh, a pain in the ass to deal with. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Blair, so then you, uh, this is the scene that you're looking at. Uh, what made you decide, hey, I'm going to make a MOBA? And actually, is that how Sins of a Dark Age started? I know it's been through several incarnations, um, but but what led you into being a guy now who is about to introduce his own game into this genre? Um, it's just like Sins of a Solar Empire. We we kind of make what we like or what we want to play, and we make sure of all the things we want to make and play that there's a, a viable uh, business behind it. Mm-hmm. Hello. Oh, yep. I cut out for a second there. And, um, you know, so... As we were wrapping up Sins of a Solar Empire and moving on to the various expansions, uh, you know, we were increasingly playing these kind of games. Like, even before League of Legends came out, Dota was getting more and more popular around uh, my own friends and whatnot and people in the office. And, we, you know, we came up with these ideas, like, what could we do here? Um, the, one of the original ideas was to combine a traditional RTS in the sense that I talked about before with resource gathering, base building, army control, uh, with um, the traditional heroes from a MOBA genre and put them all in the same stew and, you know, see what came out of it. And what came out of it was a, a, an ugly and bad-tasting soup. <laughs> <laughs> and that was uh, what you referred to as commander mode? Like, is that when Dark Sins of a Dark Age had this idea of a commander mode? Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, I mean, I could spend probably a couple hours just talking about the game design decisions and, you know, why certain things just don't work between the two. Um, but, you know, for the purposes of this, it just didn't work. So what we did was we, we cut that. It's a tough decision, but we've made tough decisions in the past, just not as publicly, because during the Sins of the Solar Empire days, nobody knew who the heck we were at the time. Um, so, you know, it didn't get much attention. Sure. Um, so, yeah, we just continued, and... We, we still think that a lot of the ideas that we had, uh, even during that period, um, are, are still very good, and we've come up with some new ones since, and we've also looked at some of our other favorite MOBAs and drawn inspiration from them, such as Demigod, uh, has a lot of cool ideas that we liked, um, and we put our own spin on it, and yeah, that, that's how it started. Well, now, before uh, folks listening think, oh, so they just decided to make another MOBA, let me just put in my two cents. You guys had a, a, a press event, and I got a chance to play an earlier build of it uh, maybe two months or so ago. Uh, and uh, it, basically, it does feel like a MOBA with, with what I found to be one hugely important exception. Uh, and I just want to highlight this early on so that folks don't think, oh, Sins of a Dark Age is just a MOBA. Uh, instead of the commander mode, the fallout from that was this, uh, I forget if you're calling it an event system, uh, Realm quests. Let's say it again. Realm quests, right, exactly. So instead of this commander mode and, and the things that you wanted that to add to the MOBA experience, you put this in this idea of realm quests. The idea being that as I'm playing a MOBA, uh, that the rules can dramatically change. Suddenly, it's not just a game about getting, you know, pushing down a lane, getting to the other guy's base, or jungling. You know, it's not that whole framework shifts dramatically. So uh, that 
to me, is, is what made this feel completely different than any other MOBA I've played. Uh, so, Blair, why don't you explain briefly the Realm Quest system? And, and more specifically, I want to talk about specific Realm Quests that might happen in the course of playing, because I find it very exciting to talk about, oh, so these are the ways that this isn't like a MOBA in detail. Um, so tell us briefly about the system, and then let's talk some specific Realm Quests. Cool. Um, Realm Quests are actually uh, a specific and large example of what we're calling the, our living world philosophy. Um, there's, there's some other major components that differentiate us quite a bit from other MOBAs, um, but Realm Quest is certainly one of the, you know, the more sophisticated and all-encompassing ones. And the, the idea is that um, we'll have a whole big pool of quests, but on any given week, there's a much smaller pool of these quests that will spawn over the course uh, of a 40-minute session. And what's going on is behind the scenes, there's, there's this uh, state machine or an artificial intelligence, uh, a light one, that's saying it's called the quest director. And it's looking for opportunities to bring these quests in. And its number one objective is to make sure they're fair. Um, because we don't want luck to be a dominant factor in a strategy game. Um, so by keeping the pool limited and having it checked for fairness, people know what to expect and can trust that it will be fair. Mm-hmm. Now, when these things spawn, it's like Tom said, they're, they're changing the rules of the game in a meaningful way. Uh, what we really want to try and encourage with them are more team fights, more exciting moments, uh, introducing some, some change up in that, that laning phase where you play 15 minutes of the same thing every time you go in. We want to shift that up. Um, you know, we want to get more epic and memorable moments in there. We want to add new strategies. Uh, so every quest that we design has to take all those variables into account. Um, just, I guess this is a good segue into... You want to talk about some examples? Yeah, give us some examples. Yeah, so and specifically, so I mentioned a few uh, in a write-up that I did that I'll link to uh, when when I post the podcast. But have there been any that you've been struggling with lately, thinking, oh, this doesn't work or this does work? Or uh, as far as the development of the game, what have been the realm quests that you've been dealing with lately? Um, well, which I think the four you played were the Tower Assault, mm-hmm. uh, the, Ver- the Varric Plague, Yep, the troll on the bridge and the dragon. Yep, slay the dragon. Um, so those have gone through iterations based on feedback. Um, do you want me to briefly describe? You know. The yeah, give me one of them. Yeah, what's one of them that you've had to change due to feedback? And tell me what how it started and how it's changed. Um, well, probably the simplest one would be the the tower assault, which is one of the what we call one of the early quests, and it's, it's meant to be very accessible and easy to understand. The idea is that you're already in a lane. And this new quest spawn says, kill the enemy tower in this lane, and they've got a symmetric quest to kill the tower in your lane. Mm-hmm. And when this happens, the minions in that lane change. They're different melee units, different ranged units, and the catapults are more powerful because now the towers have a defensive buff on them, and the, go- the goal is to kind of get your catapult and defend it within range of the enemy tower to knock it down because the traditional way of pushing a tower is to let the minions all crowd around it, then you come in and bang bang on it. That doesn't work anymore in this case, so it, it, it shifts the strategy. And now the big change that occurred based on feedback is when you used to win the quest, all of the towers in your lane would become invulnerable for a certain period of time. 
Uh-huh. And the reason the reason we did that is, all right, for the next five minutes or whatever the time was, we wanted the dynamics of the overall metagame to change. We want to say, okay, this team can now focus on, you know, getting some buffs or pushing these other lanes or whatever and not have to worry about losing their towers there. But we found it shifted it too much, and one of the great beta feedback ideas was to, you know, just maintain a defensive buff on those towers without making them invulnerable so that there was, it was still a viable option for the enemy team to try and push them. Um, but with it would basically there'd be more friction in doing it. Mm-hmm. And, that, and if you know anything about MOBAs, a lot of it is all about the ebb and flow and the, the swings back and forth and whatnot, and so it was, that was a much better uh, decision. Uh, now, uh, the my my I don't know my favorite one, but the the one that seemed to me to mix up things the most uh, is the the I forgot if you call it Varix. Is that what you call the little uh, plague dogs? Yeah, the plague rat things. Yeah. Okay, so uh, explain this quest to me because this is one like that's using the same framework of rules that anybody would use when they're when they're playing a MOBA. You know, that's a cool variation, but the the, the Varric one seemed to actually kind of not break the game, but uh, completely revise what I was doing, what everybody's doing. It gave everyone almost a completely different kind of game to play. So explain the, the Varric Realm Quest. Yeah, it, it, just to iterate on something there, the, the whole idea is that we have some early ones that are familiar, so we don't throw people off, but then they definitely get more sophisticated, more complicated, and more rule-breaking, and the Varric Plague is a great example. Uh, the idea here is that um, over time, there's these little pockets in the jungle of these varics that are infected with this plague will start spotting it. And they'll continue to grow these great big mobs out there unless people start going to kill them. Um, so why do you want to go kill them? Well, the idea is that as you kill them, you collect these pelts. And if you collect enough pelts before the other team does you can deploy a biological weapon against the enemy team, which basically means they're poisoned, they don't heal as well, and their attacks suffer uh, de- uh, reductions in damage and so on and so forth. Um, so it's kind of like this race. And so you're out in the jungle, you're, you're trying to find these things and kill them, and you're meeting up with the enemy team, and you're fighting over the plague, the plague rats or, your, or the plague varics, and you're trying to kill each other. And to make it even more interesting, you'll see this little counter on top of the, car- of the other heroes, and it shows how many of these pelts they've collected. So you, you're often out there like, do I try and get more, or do I risk you know, letting an enemy player kill me, and they'll steal my pelts? Because so you don't turn them in, right? Like you're running around with that basically a bounty over your head exactly. uh, until the quest is over. It's not, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and, so what oh, I... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I, I like, we're trying to design it so that there's all these other strategies. We want to get these psychological elements in there, these, these buffs and these, this, uh, you know, I know that he's going to do this, so I should do that, but he probably thinks that kind of thinking. Um, so what I, you know, what I like to do is I like to put a lot of wards out there, and I see who's collecting a lot of these things on the enemy team. And then when I think, you know, they're, they're tr- going to try and make a move to move to safety because they know they've got enough, you know, we set up an ambush behind the scenes where they've done all the work of collecting them, and then we just get the jump on them and we steal them and, you know, rinse and repeat. And, <laughs> and, and of course, he's got a plan around, you know, us trying to get the jump on them. And, you know, 
it can make some really interesting experiences, especially when you see a guy with a hundred of these things and you're trying to chase him and you know if he gets all the way back, they'll win, or if you kill him, you'll win. It, it, the suspense is awesome. So one of the things I really liked about that, too, is as someone who I, I never do any jungling stuff. Like, I don't understand the dynamics of jungling well enough to do that. I can sit in the lane. I know, I know how all that works. That's fine. So when this Varric quest comes up, suddenly, like, the jungle becomes, in a way, important for everyone. Everyone has a reason to go out in the jungle. Even if I'm not playing a character that jungles, it's sort of like, hey... There's something there for me now. It, it, it changes the focus of the game from the lanes to the jungle. And, and it's not mandatory, by the way, because one of the things that I think you did is if nobody's really doing that quest, these little varics start reproducing, and they basically start running amok in the jungle. And when I was playing one of the games, that quest came up, and I was like, I don't care, I'll let everyone else do that. Uh, and then I'm playing in the lane, and at one point I need to cut through the jungle to go to another lane, and I got jumped by all these super powerful creatures who weren't staying put, waiting for me to attack them in the jungle. Uh, and I thought that was a really cool dynamic. You know, you mentioned, I think you used the word uh, living world, is that what you said? Yeah, and, and it felt like that. Like, hey, sometimes this jungle comes alive, and it's not safe for me to walk through it. Uh, and I really, really liked that that dynamic. Um, so uh, the the troll and the dragon ones, they're, uh, they have their own cool twist. The troll sits in the middle of the lane. Uh, the dragon gives you some dragon slayers who accompany you. Um, one of them that you mentioned at the press event, Blair, and I don't know if you're ready to talk about this, but there's the possibility that a game of Sins of a Dark Age where we're playing uh, a MOBA, two teams against each other, can convert to, can be overrun by third-party barbarian hordes. Um, yeah. Tell That's... me about that. So is that something still there? So let's say me and McMaster, we've got our, each have our four buddies. We're playing against each other. I'm going to kick McMaster's butt like I usually do in RTSs. Uh, and he doesn't like, play League of Legends against me, Blair. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that out there. Oh yeah, Age of Empires three, no problem. <laughs> so we're yeah. So our teams are against each other, and we can suddenly be having to cooperate. Is that is that something you really want to happen? Uh, absolutely. Um, that is one of the. I'm going to talk a lot more. I think about the cooperative aspects that we're going for. Um, this is actually an example of cooperative in the middle of competition. Um, it's like you said, there's a third-party invasion of barbarian hordes, which ties directly into our, our lore and our living world theme. And there's an incentive system uh, set up such that you guys may be convinced, not always, to work together to hold off this horde. Uh, I'd like to draw an analogy to Settlers in Catan, Cities and Knights. Uh, have, either, have either of you played that? Yeah. I, I do not know it, I'm afraid. Well, well, the, the basic idea is that you want to defend, make sure all the cities are defended so that, you know, um, the majority of you come out better. It's a similar mechanic in the Game of Thrones um, board game where the, the wildlings are invading or whatever it is, and you guys, you're incentivized to work together to, to, to hold it off. Mm -hmm. um, and what this will tie into as well is is the idea that part of our... I hate using the word metagame because it has a different semantic in MOBAs, but uh, the progression outside of the game, outside of the 40 minutes, do we have a word we want to use for this? I, why do you hate metagame? Because that makes, like, metagame persistence? Like, that makes sense to me. Do you not yeah. like that? 
but in the world of League of Legends and MOBAs, meta is kind of the... Yeah, uh, that's what there's... Oh, God, I know what you're talking about. That's what they use as the overall, like, flow of a game, I think. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, yeah, now I know what you're talking about. Uh, how about just persistent perks? Okay, let's call it the persistent persistent game. Persistent, persistent. perks. Yeah. Um, part of our living world aspect, which I haven't really talked about at all, and I won't go into much detail here, is kind of an overworld map, overworld campaign uh, that various factions are moving through that are influenced by what happens in the 40-minute sessions. Uh, and the barbarian invasion is, uh, if it's successfully defended, is a, is a major input, uh, a major benefit to this persistent mm-hmm. metagame. So that's the incentive. Um, yeah, you may work together to, to beat this, and it may cause you to lose the overall 40-minute session, um, but by working together and accomplishing that quest, you may get some benefit outside that will... Well, is it sort of like... like- Losing a battle in the in the pursuit of winning a war, like that kind of thing. Like there's there's a higher objective than just the immediate match. Sometimes yeah, there's progression outside of the immediate okay. match. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like progression via League of Legends is leveling system, uh, like from one to thirty, your summoner kind of level. Yep. Yeah. We 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 have a system like that as well, which is different uh, than League of Legends, but. There's another system that's more tied into the idea of a living world. Like, there's a map and different territories and uh, different inputs. Like, accomplishing certain quests can can cause other stuff to happen outside of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Tom, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna need you to sit somewhere in between. The two two of the lanes. Uh, Dude, you listen. start with me, McMaster. Some wards. Yeah, what's my you're, job? You're going to need to go to like three or four different places in this right. area. You're just going to need to refresh these wards. Uh, if you see somebody, just run because they'll probably kill you. But, I, don't, uh, I don't get to fight McMaster. I don't get to like earn gold or XP. I just do the wards. Is that is that my job in this team? Uh, helping everyone else should be reward enough. I would think if you're a player. All right, McMaster, when the barbarians come, and I am designated MVP for the uh, early recon uh, that I have done, uh, I will thank you in my acceptance speech as MVP for the match. Uh, you should. You should, yes. I'm putting you in. Uh, listen, you're first. I'm always looking out. <laughs> uh, Blair, so uh, you, you did mention, so the, the realm quest is, of course, a, a huge uh uh, selling point for Sins of a Dark Age and something that immediately caught my fancy. I mean, I was worried that uh, I, it, I just whenever I, I see someone wanting to make a game in a popular genre, I kind of worry for them. Because I wonder, you know, do you really have any reason to be jumping into this genre? And I immediately got the sense upon playing Sins of a Dark Age that the answer to that question for you guys, do you have any reason to be jumping into the genre, is yes, that you have a unique selling point. But you mentioned the realm quests are not the only uh, thing that you feel is different from other MOBAs. Uh, what, what other things can you point to uh, that, that you guys think you have to offer that some other MOBAs might not? Um, again, it, there's a lot of fine detail type stuff that I wouldn't put in a bullet point. Um, but I, I, I do think it contributes positively to the experience. Um, we talked earlier a lot about the denying and the, the last hitting and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give one example there would be 
you know, we don't even think that last hitting is a, is a great mechanic, even when it's killing the enemy minions. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, so if McMaster and I are playing, and I do 90% of the damage on a creep, and he does the last 10%, in a normal MOBA, do I get 90% of the XP and the gold? Oh, you get all of the XP, but you get none of the gold. Exactly. Now That makes no the, sense to me. Why would that? Exactly. Okay, yeah, that's ridiculous. That's, I protest. That's the, that's the kind of inverse or perverse mechanics that we don't like. It's that sort of thing that we think helps contribute very early on to aggressive and hostile behavior, even between people on the same team. Oh, yeah. Um, so every decision we're making is trying to balance the, the, the idea of skill and incentivizing cooperation. Um, so in our in our model, which is, is turning out really well based on feedback, is the guy who gets the last hit gets all the gold that he would normally have gotten. Now, anyone else who's nearby splits up a pool of gold um, under the assumption that they've contributed in some fashion. Now, we know that isn't always the case, uh, but we're trying to strike a balance between skill and, you know, and reducing aggression. And so far, the, the feedback has been very positive in that regard. So what do you think of that, McMaster? So if I'm in the right place at the right time, it doesn't matter that you're only letting me cast wards. So there. Mm. I'm still getting gold and XP. What do you think so of it's that? So it's not screwing the guy who is skillful to get that last hit. That's yeah, Right. No, there's actually an incentive still to get the last hit. Yeah. See what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, would you have to inflate, like, your item prices, you think, a bit? or? Yeah, oh, I, I can only imagine what a nightmare that must be to sort of be balancing and working out all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah certainly because it's not a zero-sum game that the overall right. price everything has to be accounted for. But uh, I think we're pretty close on that, and there, haven't, there hasn't been a lot of complaining about, about it, so we know we're in the ballpark. Okay, uh, yeah, no, that's, that sounds pretty cool. I, I'm interested in that. <laughs> and that's a great segue into another major feature, which, uh, Tom, you didn't get to check out. Um, but of the 80 to 100 million players, I don't remember how many there are right now, that a League of Legends alone has, we're convinced that there's a large portion of those people who would be very happy to be playing uh, a MOBA-type game in a strictly cooperative sense. Now, I'm not just talking about uh, replacing the enemy units with AI heroes, which we have. Uh, we're talking about specific maps that are designed and scripted and, mm. and utterly uh, focused on five guys, five bodies getting together and you know playing this thing out and seeing how they do. Uh, so it's purely cooperative. Uh, so, so it's, it's, it's almost like a horde mode or something, or uh... that, that is the exact name that we've given it. Uh, one of the ah. modes, yeah, horde mode. That's and cool. Yeah, yeah. Now, World of Warcraft does something called scenarios now, which sounds kind of similar to it's just co-op, and you don't have to have a healer or tank, but just all damage. Yep. So, in one example, we've we've got um, that we were testing. Is you're defending a fortification, which is pretty. You know, pretty standard fare, and the minion, the waves are coming. You're leveling up and buying gear within the, within there, and certain types of enemies come, like big, huge guys that require a lot of DPS or large mobs that require AOE. So you still need to think about your hero composition, which is a very important part of these games. Um, you still have to figure out what items you're going to buy, and one of the really cool twists is 
there's another branch of realm quests that are spawning during these types of missions. So, for example, uh, a quest will spawn that says, Rescue the Siege Engineer. So you have to sorte away from the fortification, find the, the Siege Engineer, haul him back to base, and if you do, he'll repair your siege weaponry, and yeah, you can use that to help defend the fortification. Or it's go rescue the prisoners, and uh, they'll help defend the base. Or go find the materials that you can use to repair the wall. You know, stuff like that. So we think that, you know, this kind of cooperative thing is is an area that's completely untapped, and we're going to go to town on it. You know, Blair, yeah, it sounds like you're doing it wrong because if there's one thing we've learned from League of Legends, it's that you only need one map and one way to play on that map. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if that is the case, then both, then our entire philosophy is, is shot. Well, it's, it's funny though about, yeah, the one map for League of Legends because, you know, they, they have a couple of others now, but they're, they're, I don't know, one of them is close, I guess. I mean, Dominion gets a lot of play. But, well, it uh, did take them a long time to sort of reach that point, didn't it, McMaster? To, to oh, sort of God. concede, yeah. all right, here's another way to play. And It, it, it I, wasn't just yeah. them. It was MOBAs in general. Because, like, Dota had, like, realistically one map. I mean, there was, you know, whatever. But uh, And then, of course, uh, Heroes of New Earth had it. You know, it's just it's the three-lane yeah. uh, thing, you know. And just every MOBA does that uh, or did that, you know. So, yeah, it's hard to get away yeah. from that. But, that's why we, we, we call it our classic mode map. Um, sure. You know, yeah. It's it's what's expected, and that's kind of why we're testing with that during closed beta. Um, it reduces the variables. But mm-hmm. uh, oh. even our goal is that even that classic experience, the strategies and tactics can change up dramatically based on changes we've made above and beyond just Realm Quest. So. Yeah, it sounds really, uh, really interesting. I mean... Yeah, no, sorry, go ahead. Uh, one, a, a huge point for any MOBA player is what kind of characters do you have? You know, uh, in League of Legends, I think they're well over 100. Demigod only has, is it 8 or 10? I think it's 8, and then they added 2 more, so it's got 10. Um, but, you know, the characters are where you put all of your cool gameplay mechanics, the skills, the way they interact with the other characters. Uh, give us... Tell us about a couple of your favorite characters that you guys have going for Sins of a Dark Age. Okay. Um, in general, we want to reduce the number, uh, the frequency of release compared to other games. Um, mm-hmm. So we're somewhere between Demigod and on one end and League of Legends on the other. Um, we feel that putting them out so frequently is it can be a detriment, and um, so we don't want to do that. Um, we do have a variety of archetypes that are expected, uh, so they, it helps make it accessible and, you know, so new players can get in and experience the other new stuff without worrying about having to learn this completely new character. But, a couple of my favorite characters that are u- very unique and, uh, to Sins of a Dark Age, um, I'm having a lot of fun with Zeros, uh, he's kind of like this ninja assassin. Who's a we? Is Zeros the Mage Slayer? And he specializes in guess what? Uh, <laughs> slaying mages. Um, he has this cool ability where he can he is uh, a targeted uh, entity target ability where he tags tags an enemy and then he can he can essentially teleport to them within a certain range. 
and once he's in close, he can detonate a little bomb that it, it does damage, and um, he can be really sneaky, and and uh, it does a lot of really fast burst damage, but he's very susceptible to anyone else attacking him. He's kind of squishy. Mm-hmm. Um, he sounds think, really annoying, by the way. Like, he, like he'd be one of those characters where I would come out of a match and think, I hate that guy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite character right now, uh, and I'm going to use it to talk about a different mechanic that we've added that's not in any other MOBA. Uh, my, f- my favorite right now is Slittus. He's a snake character. He's very unique to look at, the way he slides around. and um, He's got some really cool skins you know, based on different snake themes. Uh, but what's really interesting about him is he has this mechanic where he he hides in the grass or somewhere and he strikes out of it with a bonus. Um, now, what I like to do... Oh, right. I forget about this, and yeah, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Sorry, Blair. I, I can't believe that I spaced on this cool feature. Go ahead. I want to hear about this guy. So, overall, um, it, he's pretty cool on his own. But, again, another pillar of our living world theme, of which there are many, uh, is... What, we've added this concept called the day-night cycle. And if you'll permit me, I, I'd like to describe it and then tie it back into Slivis. Mm-hmm. Um, from a Dota original perspective, the day-night cycle was it was a holdover from Warcraft 3. And the fundamental thing that it did was change the sight ranges. Uh, a few games have kept that, and it does the same thing. Um, we've taken that to a whole other level. Uh, we do reduce sight ranges at night, but there are another other number of other mechanics that that tie in. Uh, the first one is that um, various creatures in the jungle behave differently at night, or various creatures may come out at night that aren't there during the day, depending on what's going on. Um, so the wart dogs generally are kind of passive at night, but at or at, during the day, but at night they'll run around and attack anything on the spot. Uh, that they, they kind of roam in a little pack. Um, certain realm quests. Uh, which we talked about earlier, they will only spawn at night, so they'll be themed accordingly. Um, now, this is the really cool part of my mind. A number of the items in the shop have different properties depending on whether it's day or night. Um, and finally, uh, the, the final point I'll talk about, and there's, there's more, but uh, is that the grass or the brush, depending on how you want to call it based on the game, uh, it changes during the night. It's called Moon Bloom. So at night, the grass grows and comes into full bloom. So there's there's all these different areas around the map that are suddenly more susceptible to uh, you being ganked from because there's more areas to hide. So what I like to do with Slivis, because he's kind of this sneaky assassin character uh, who gets this bonus from jumping from grass, is I like to buy the, the items in the shop that give him bonus critical damage at night or bonus attack power, uh, you know, all the aggressive and assassin kind of attributes. So I'll buy those items on him, and then I'm basically gearing him for night. And now he roams the map through all this extra moon bloom grass where he can hide out more, and he, he can get the gank on, you know, and surprise people. And it, it, it's a lot of fun. Of course, he's got to be more careful during the day, but, you know, that, that's the kind of interesting trade-off. That, that I like to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you, uh, there's also one that caught my eye uh, from an aesthetic and a theming perspective. Uh, I really like, there's a leper with a peg leg. 
uh, what, who like vomits disease on people, and just he's got this awkward am- animation trying to walk around with his peg leg. Uh, do I have that right? Who is that dude? That's Lord Decane, the Plague Bringer. That is, you have it exactly right. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, and I just love the aesthetic of him and how, uh, you know, the theming of infecting people and debuffing and, and stuff. Uh, I played, and I don't know how I came to this, there's a little fairy chick who seems like a sort of a support class, but every single one of her skills has a dual function based on whether I use it on a friendly or an enemy. Uh, do yeah. I have that right? Who was that? That is Vexy, uh, the, the trickster. And yeah, her her whole theme is really uh, the the duality of her abilities. Um, that's a concept we came up with a long time ago, uh, and it's been iterated on a lot. But that's exactly right. So one of her abilities is to she can either shrink an enemy, so they're running around like little miniature ponies or something, or she can enlar- enlarge friendly, so that they're these giants who do a lot of extra damage and run faster inverse on the other end um, and all of her stuff works that way and it, we, we, we always try really hard to thematically tie abilities with the lore, with the look and with the gameplay and that will become much more apparent as we start releasing some of the stories and backgrounds and more of the heroes uh, McMaster when we play I need you to pick uh, the fairy chick and just cast spells on me just follow oh, yeah. around behind me and just use all your spells on me just refresh constantly and just we'll be damned spells yeah we're damned so yes just, just stick close to me McMaster that is the worst plan ever <laughs> uh, so Blair what can you tell us about the business model for Sins of a Dark Age um I don't think there's anything all that unique the, what North Americans are willing to accept for free to play is it's pretty well established, and the and that's what you're doing. Sum- that that yeah. is planned. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. The summary of that is you're not paying for power, uh, or paying to win, as some people say. So, the rule is anything that affects gameplay, you can earn for free. Uh, anything that's aesthetic or cosmetic, that's where you, or a, a convenience, uh, that's where you pay real money. Um, one area that we do slightly different is not so much the design, the mechanic, but we certainly, I feel, we have much less of a grind um, in terms of if you don't want to pay money. Like, if you want to unlock heroes, it, it, it's not as big a deal. Uh, at least, you know, so far that's it's been well-received and people have, um, you know, commented on that. And But mechanically, it, it's pretty similar. Um, I... I, I think a large part of it as well is the the persistent game is what kind of keeps people around. Uh, but that is one area we've already talked about that we are changing up. Uh, but it is an important part of the business model um, mm-hmm. because it, it helps. The longer people stick around, the more likely they are to you know decide to check out a new skin for a hero they like or uh, you know stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, w- League of Legends is huge as an esports uh, event, uh, as far as being competitive and tournaments and, and spectators and all that stuff. Um, a premium for a game that is used as an esport is this idea of fairness and balance. Um, and it seems like with your Realm Quest system. Um, now, I know you mentioned that there's a Realm Quest director, I think you called it, that tests for fairness and that, that doesn't throw up certain Realm Quests at certain times. Um, 
Do you feel, though, that by mixing up the rules so much, does that make Sins of a Dark Age less likely to be embraced by the esports community? Is that, is, that a, is that something that you guys are willing to let go of for the sake of the Realm Quest, or are you trying to find some balance there where an esports community could still embrace Sins of a Dark Age? That's a big question. Um, I have answers for all of it because this is something we've talked about a lot. Um, I, I think the first thing to point out is that, you know, while we may have 100 or 200 different realm quests in the end, let's just make up a number, um, that is not what you're going to be thrown at. Thrown, that's not what's going to be thrown at you during your 40-minute session. Um, it's always known which ones are going to be available mm-hmm. uh, on a given week. And based on feedback as we open it up, the beta up more, we may even say... At the beginning of the match, here are the quests that you're going to be presented with. Mm. Um, it, we're still trying to find that, you know, how much knowledge do you have where you still feel it's uh, it's the strategy's dominant versus luck. Um, now, I don't personally, none of people at Ironclad don't mind a bit of luck involved. Um, we don't feel that strategy games. Uh, you could still have a very good strategy game with a bit of luck. Uh, and the strategy, therefore, pushes off more into that psychological aspect and your ability to uh, predict or, you know, bluff and uh, try and anticipate. That's factor one. And factor two is your ability to work as a team to deal with changing circumstance. Um, now, there's plenty of board games and plenty of uh, card games and all sorts of other games that, that use these mechanics very well. And they're still effective competitive uh, games. Mm-hmm. Um, now, secondly, has to do more with our, our our business strategy, and we know that the League of Legends of the world and the Dota twos of the world are going to go pretty hardcore on trying to grab the purely competitive market. For us to go up against them directly in that sense would not be a smart move. We're not going to be offering the five million dollar prizes in the first year of Sins of Dark Age going live. It just doesn't make sense. Um, that's why I, I talked a lot about, you know, we want to appeal to people who want to play the cooperative experience with their buddies on a Friday night. We, we put in mechanics that make it more accessible and less hostile. Um, and Realm Quests, I think, add a lot to the gameplay, and they make it more immersive and more more entertaining for that 40-minute session. Um, even if there is a slight cost to esports. I don't think it's as great as it, as a lot of people will say it will be because of the reasons I, I talked about earlier. But mm-hmm. it, it is going to have some some cost. Um, and finally, we're, we are still going to provide a lot of the tools and expectations that competitive games want. We put a lot of time into balance and stats analysis. Uh, we already have replays that are automatically saved after every match. So you can watch them in slow motion, fast forward, rewind. We know the esports community loves that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and not all games are even offering it yet, which boggles my mind. Um, so we've got that already. Uh, it's also a lot of fun to watch those, but you can use them to learn strategies, uh, spectator mode, like all the staples. We've got all of that, and we're really just going to let the community decide where we're going to put more emphasis. But we're going to, prov- you know, we're providing both sides of the coin. Right. Yeah. 
personally, I think the esports community should suck it up and deal with all the realm quests because I don't know about you guys, but I would be much more inclined to watch, say, a football game if a barbarian horde could come out on the field and attack the football players and force them to bind together to beat off the barbarians. I think that would improve football, baseball, basketball, any sport. I, I would love to see that. Mm. Um, Tom Chicks love would think beating off barbarians would be an awesome addition to any sport. It makes anything better, yeah. Uh, and finally, Blair, the really big question. When Absolutely. can me and McMaster, when can the average person play and, and I can task McMaster with choosing Vexy and following me around on the field? Uh, what's the situation with, with getting real people in there to play and not just your, your privileged closed beta testers? Um, anyone who wants to get in with our, our, one of, buy one of our founders packages can get into the closed beta. Um, oh, is that, are you serious? Like it's a, it's a, I could theoretically, be playing right now? That's how that works? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So explain this. How does this work? Right. Well, well you, you get some exclusive content that will never be available again. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a bunch of, uh, it, you know, credits and you get instant access to the, the closed beta. And it, it's basically, a, we're trying to duplicate what we did with Sins of a Solar Empire where people could purchase pre-order Mm-hmm. and get into the beta and have their say and have an influence on it. And it worked very well for us there. So the, the analogous way to do it here is um, you buy a, fa- a founder's package and we give you some exclusive content. That's the main hook. Where does and someone can, do this, by the way? Is it just sinsofadarkage.com? Where do I find this? Yep, sinsofadarkage.com. Okay. Uh, and, what, and one thing, this has some pros and cons uh, uh, that I want to point out is that uh, this is an actual beta. Uh, a lot of games that are in beta... You know, it's really it's either a marketing tool or it's um, they, they're trying to dodge uh, various types of feedback or I don't know what the reason is, but they've kind of said, you know, the game's pretty well polished and ready to go. Now that's the con. We're actually in a closed beta. There are technical issues. Uh, it's it's fully playable, but sometimes in certain areas the, the lag is a bit wonky. We're still working on that. Uh, it hardly crashes anymore, so that's great. The content. <laughs> The content is very limited. We're only offering the classic mode with, uh, I think, 15 heroes, uh, certain items, you know, the usual kind of restricted variable beta state. Um, but the positive side of this is, and if you know our work on Sins of a Solar Empire, uh, we really do listen to what people are saying in the forums, and we make changes based on that feedback. Because it's not in that level of a polished or complete state, we can make those necessary changes, and uh, I, I can list a whole bunch of stuff that's already improved based on the, the great beta testers we have already. Mm-hmm. I'm and sure there's no way you have a Mac client, is there? Uh, unfortunately not. Sorry. Uh, McCoskey, not get, get a real computer already, for Pete's sake. I have a real <laughs> computer as well. I just don't want to. <laughs> uh, and Blair, then what, what is the... Ob- uh, objective in terms of when you plan to go to open beta? Uh, when it's ready. It's the same, <laughs> as, same as Sins of a Solar Empire. We ended up, we were only supposed to be in beta for a few months and uh-huh. ended up being over a year. But it was worth it. I mean, the, the final product, uh, sh- I think, showed that it was worth it to, to wait until it was ready. And we're going to do the same thing here. Fair point. Okay. 
Uh, all right. Well, uh, Blair, thank you so much for telling about this. We're, we're going to now take a brief break, and then, Blair, you're going to stick around with us to tell us about your games of the, Game of the Week and News of the Week uh, with me and McMaster. So, everyone, uh, we'll, we'll take a brief break, and then we'll be right back with Games of the Week and News of the Week. When was the last time you thought to yourself, I wish someone would combine a fighting game with a match three? Well, think to yourself no more, because Puzzle Punch is here. From Diplodocus Games, the developer of Pixel Cookies and Jewel Crazy, comes the newest You Got Peanut Butter and Jelly in My Chocolate Sensation. Destructoid calls it a game unlike any other. Eurogamer says it's one to watch. PetersGameReviews.com gives it three stars. In Puzzle Punch, you match three gems to unlock new moves for Steel Lab Sam to use against drug dealers, terrorists, and fanatics. Can you beat your high score before the criminals kill you? Get Puzzle Punch today for only $5.99 for your Android devices. And we're back. So, McMaster, why don't you start us out by telling us about your choice for news of the week? I'm guessing it relates to your favorite game, World of Warcraft. Yes, it does. Um, actually, no, it's a, a leak and a Game Informer thing for Thief 4 being released in next year. Ah, you love those Game Informer stories. You mentioned their Witcher 3 uh, reveal last week, and this week, Thief 4, wait a minute. There's no Thief 4. It turns out there is. <laughs> and what do we know about this, McMaster? Uh, you know, actually, it kind of got uh, initially surfaced as somebody's... Uh, um, PR reel uh, for their website or something like that, but uh, it's going to be on next-gen consoles and uh, it's Thief. Or and what do we know? What's the main character? What, McMaster, will there be uh, stealth? Scared, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, I think there's going to be stealth in it too. I mean, there's also. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, yes. There will be stuff. Um, but the whole thing is that uh, I think it's going to be going towards like a dishonored kind of feel in a way, almost. I mean, not completely, but uh, with multiple paths through every level, et cetera, et cetera. So, from there. so basically like Thief 1, 2, and 3. Uh, yes. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Thief 1 and Thief 3 together, I think. Uh, who's making this, McMaster? What do we know about the developer? Uh, it is being made by um, IDOS uh, Montreal, I believe. And what have they given That's us re- re- lately? What do, what do we know them from? Uh, what, IDOS Montreal? You know them from being in Montreal? <laughs> well, they're the, it's the, isn't it the Day Sex Human Revolution team? Is that yeah, the, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're moving on to a thief. Uh, and I can't help but look at some of those screenshots and think, oh, yeah, well, I just played Dishonored. I guess I could play it again in 2014 as, as Thief 4. Uh, I think they've got a little bit of an identity crisis thing going. Uh, I, I don't know. We'll see. Well, you know, right but, now. I mean, how are you going to argue with Garrett? How are you going to do it? I don't, you know what, what? So here's a serious question. At Blair, do you know the Thief games? Like, is that part of your uh, gamer DNA? It's it's part of my DNA. I wouldn't say it's all-encompassing, but yeah. Well, then let me ask uh, you this. So if you're not, like, a, a Thief fanatic, uh, Blair, what can you tell me about Garrett? Like, what does that mean to you when someone says, hey, there's going to be a new Thief game with Garrett? Does that mean anything to you? What do you, what do you get from that? I get... 
dude hiding in the shadows, <laughs> trying to avoid getting killed, being sneaky, and just being cool. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's not like, I, yeah, I think of yeah. the gameplay, but I don't. I couldn't tell you a dang thing about the character. Didn't didn't oh, Garrett lose an eye or something? Like, is he a one-eyed dude, or did I just make that up? I think he made that up. Yeah, the, the 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 pixie thing or whatever it was, wasn't it? I don't remember I don't, the details. Yeah, I don't even know what, what that is, Blair, but like I have this vague notion that maybe he lost an eye. I guess he wears a hood. But I, I know, and and I know some of the earlier Thief games had cool story beats, specifically one twist about who he was actually working for. But as for Garrett as a character, I just, and maybe it's because I've been playing Tomb Raider lately, um, where, where Lara Croft is now so completely vivid in my mind as a character, um, or the, you know, Batman from the Arkham Asylum and Arkham City game. But I just, Garrett doesn't mean that much to me. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I, so I might as it well. It would be weird, weird if it wasn't Garrett. Right, 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 exactly. But uh, it just doesn't mean much to me to say, hey, Garrett is back. You know, hey, it's another thief game. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not like Super Mario's back or, you know, someone who you identify with as Right, much. right, yeah. I just don't have it's much of a. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know what? They'll have time to get that message out. It, it's a 2014 game, right, McMaster? It's not one of these. This, it's not something right. for this year. Yeah. Right, um, yeah, no, it's it's next year for sure. So, yeah, no, it's just uh, I get excited. I like the Thief games. You know, I know. Uh, Tom has to ruin all fun. Well, let me ruin some Crush fun. that spark. Yeah, I'm not done ruining fun, McMaster. Let me ruin fun a little more by, by positing that. I'm not sure that traditional stealth mechanics are a good foundation for games anymore. I mean, there's cool stuff to be done with stealth, uh, but I just I don't know that I really want to hide in shadows and watch a patrol path anymore. So, so it's like you know, it's like Playboy and stuff. So, like for you, this is like the first step. It's like serial killers when they hurt animals. You're like, you know, I just I can't just sneak anymore. Now I have to sneak and murder people. <laughs> and next is just going to be Tom Chick found murdering people. Master, that's the most roundabout way to make some point I don't even understand. I don't know what you just accused me of, but I heartily deny it. Nope. Uh, <laughs> well, my, my, just my point is, is making stealth the foundation for a game, I don't really think that works anymore. Now, that said, I haven't played Deadgummit. Well, it's the... The, the, the developers are called Clay, Clea, K-L-E-I. Is it Shadow of the Ninja or Mark of the Ninja or the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Mark or... Yeah. I think it's it, Mark. Okay, yeah. It was an Xbox Live Arcade release. It's also on Steam. Uh, they do these cool 2D side-scrolling kind of platformer combat games. They did the... Uh, oh, Rats. What was that exploitation game called with the the dude who, like, hacks up people really violent? That gummit. Uh Shank. Yes, Shank, Shank. Thank you, McMaster. Yeah, Shank and Shank 2, they did those. So I've been told they do some cool things with stealth in that game. I I haven't seen it. But when I think of Dishonored, I think of how the stealth was kind of compromised by the fact that you become a badass killing machine and it became a combat game. Um, So the stealth kind of in that game was almost optional. You didn't have to do it. It kind of fell by the wayside as you got more powerful. Um, So that's one of the things that makes me wonder, can we really make a game based around stealth? Is there an audience for that? And do I have the patience to wait out a patrol path anymore? And I'm not sure that I do. Uh, I mean, you know, Garrett didn't have to wait either, you know. There's, There's moss arrows. 
Well, but when it, like, you look at Human Revolution, the Deus Ex game, you know, stealth was one of the, what, three or four pillars of gameplay. Um, so I guess they kind of did it there, but they also let you ignore it if you wanted. Really, Will Garrett of gameplay, and that was, you would better be able to kill the stupid boss segments. <laughs> exactly, McMaster. And I think they got enough grief for that, that they they know better now. I, I hope. Uh, I hope. God. But w- here's the point, though, McMaster. Here's the question. Will Garrett be able to just be a badass killing machine, and will Thief 4 then let me just play it as a straight-up combat game, in which case, is it even a thief anymore? And I'm, I presume that's something they're probably struggling with. I hope that's part of what they're thinking about as they develop the game. Hopefully we'll hear more about it over time. I, uh, I heard that they've altered Garrett to make him look like uh, Sarah Palin. Or, uh, <gasps> if, if that changes your opinion. When can so I play this, McMaster? <laughs> 2014, I believe. Sweet. Sarah Palin murdering people in medieval cyberpunk times. I'm, I'm down with that. Thanks, McMaster. Sure, no problem. <laughs> All right, so a Thief 4 announcement. Uh, let's get into news that's even sexier and more exciting. Blair, what do you have for us? <laughs> I'm embarrassed with what I have. I, uh, it's definitely not sexy and exciting, but I'll do my best. Um, I, I track a lot of uh, you know business type stories because mm-hmm. unfortunately we have to deal with that stuff as much as I'd rather be just making games. Um, you know, and I, I'm thinking into the future. I'm like, what, well, what kind of games are we going to be making? And so I got some really bad news. Uh, it, the IDC is an analyst group that puts out regular reports, and they're saying that PC sales are way down, even below expected, and that the trend is not looking good. And the way this ties in here is I'm thinking, like, in the near future, sooner than I expected, are we even going to want to be making PC games? Like, where are these people all going? What kind of games are they playing? And, um, you know, so that's the bad news of the week for me. Well, and McMaster uh, is a perfect example in that he's now wanting you to make a game for his, his Mac Airbook or whatever it is that he's got. Uh, it's, it's a Mac. I, th- I, yeah, I think even he's going to be screwed, though, right? The, the analysis yeah. is that everybody's moving to mobile and tablets. And, you know, you asked about. Thief being in my DNA, yeah, it's sort of in there, but PC is my DNA. I mean, that's that's my entire childhood, teen years, and adult life. And, you know, is there going to be a market for the games that I want to make? Um, and, you know, I don't know. And so, it's you know, sad I think, news. I think a lot of it, too, though, is that the market has expanded so much. I think it's still a lot of the same people are there. I think it's just that it's grown so much that they're including so many people in the market now that maybe it just kind of makes the numbers look worse. But I I, I certainly, you know, there's always, always the PC gaming fear. Yeah, and I'm not really one of those people that jump on the PC is dead bandwagon. Um, I've always been, you know, there's going to be enough of them, but like, when I look at the slope of the curve, it's like, uh, it's it's ugly. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, Blair, can you tell us some specifics about what the IDC said? Like, just it's a slowing or it's a it's a a valley or what? How? What? What exactly were they saying? Can you give us some specifics? So uh, I think it was something like eight percent decline in the fourth quarter, uh, which is when 
you know, some of the big events were supposed to help prop it up, like Windows 8 launching and Christmas and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and this is already on top of an already declining, uh, you know, something like 4% prior, prior in the year and even more so back in 20, you know, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see the corresponding increases in the other areas, and it, the pattern's pretty clear, you know. People aren't buying PCs, and it's not even stable. It's it's in decline. And the kind of games that I play and the kind of games that I make, you know, I can't see them going to tablet or mobile easily at all. And and I also look around at, at the, all the companies here in Vancouver. Um, you know, they're they're all trying to shift right. over to the, these new things. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, am I going to have to make that call at some point sooner than I expected? Um, it's, it's, it's tough. Could this be a matter of people just, uh, when you say PC sales, is it maybe people just hanging on to PCs longer and upgrading them with better video cards? Or uh, I, I, do you think that could factor in? Is, is there still a, no. a healthy base of people just upgrading their PCs? I don't think so because we're. I also track a lot of the peripheral uh, sales and stuff like that are indicators of that type of behavior. Uh, there was a recent report from Logitech that they're trying to revamp their model. You know, people aren't buying the, the, their traditional equipment. Uh, you've got NVIDIA moving around, too, with, you know, trying to tie in with, you know, Steambox and different things. Or that, that might be incorrect. They're trying to tie in with the different types of markets. Right. Um, the whole thing is changing, and it, it's happening fast, like much faster than I expected. And so, no, I don't think people are. Uh, people have realized, I believe, that 90% of what they do, email, social networking, sharing photos, and a bit of word processing and surfing the, the web, don't need these right. these game-type machines. And so you get this this uh, this effect where, well, well, I've got this other thing. I'll just play whatever games are available on that. You know, so... So, uh, Sins of a Solar Empire 2 to be released for the uh, iPad in 2015. Nope, it will not happen. <laughs> in fact, I'm waiting for, you know, 64-bit to become more prevalent. Uh, <laughs> Sins, of, Sins of a Solar Empire 2 is going gonna, is gonna to say the hell with what's happening in reality, and we're sticking to our core, and we're going to make it work anyways. Blair, me and McMaster are right behind you. We yeah, will follow you all the way. <laughs> you may be following me right into bankruptcy, but oh well. It'll That's be a okay. fun game to play for the, those of us that are. Right. Well, I'll be sitting uh, around some uh, uh, like hobos around a burning barrel, but we will have our 64-bit laptops, and we'll be having a grand old time with Sins of a Solar Empire too. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm going. I'm going down with the ship, baby. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, my news is not that exciting. It's not that sexy. It's actually, I'm bringing it up because I have a question I'm hoping you guys can help me with. But my news is the latest beta patch for Skyrim from Bethesda. It's available now on Steam, and Bethesda says the patch will be available for console systems later this month in March. Um, I think they're calling it the Legendary Patch, partly because it adds a new, harder, legendary difficulty level in case you found Skyrim too easy. But it also lets you, it, it in effect removes the level cap. And I'm a little confused about this, so maybe you guys can help me with this. Uh, Blair, were you much of a Skyrim player? Is that in your, your recent gamer DNA? 
it's in my brothers, and I I sat around with them a lot while I was playing and observed, but I haven't put my own time into it. Okay, I, know so enough to, I know enough to talk about it. Okay, you've vicariously enjoyed it, at the very least. McMaster, I know you've played more than I have. I'm strictly oh, yeah. a dabbler. So here's the deal. You now uh, can basically... Uh, Take a skill that you have maxed out, I guess, and reset it, and you keep all your perks in that skill line, but then you can keep leveling up that skill again, which lets you then gain more levels on your main character level. It used to be, I think you topped out at level 80, because that meant all your skills were maxed out. Um, cause if I, okay, so correct me if I'm wrong. When you're playing Skyrim, you earn experience points by using skills, Correct. Yes. Is that right, Master? So yes. if I'm yes. using, yes. if I'm attacking stuff with a fireball and I'm killing it, I'm gaining XP. At some point, I've killed enough things with my fireball and I've picked enough locks or whatever that I then level up. And what do I get for leveling up? Does either of you remember? You get, yeah, yeah, you get to choose whether you put points into stamina, health, or magicka. And you also get to put points into the specializations in those skill trees. Okay, so what would happen then is once I would run out of skills to level up, there would be no ways for me to get new levels, correct? Correct. Okay, so that's why you would want to reset a skill, put it back down to its bottom level. Even though I'm at level 80, now I can respec, or re- what, I forget what you call it, I guess uh, set it to legendary, I don't know, it uses some variation of the word legend or legendary to basically reset a skill so you can then use it to level up your character and get past the level 80 cap. Um, Now, does this sound gratuitous to you, McMaster? Is this something you would want to do? Yeah, I mean, well, me, probably not, but uh, I know a lot of people that would, so yeah, I don't think it's that crazy. There's a lot of mods or hacks or whatever out there that people are doing this already. Uh, yeah. It's just an official, legit way to do it, is my understanding. And to do it on the Xbox 360, as God intended Skyrim to be played. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mine, I think, is like my level cap on the PC version I have is set to like three or 400. So, oh, Actually, that's right. You people on the PC couldn't care less about this. You're already doing right. whatever the heck you want. Yeah, whoop-de-doo, whatever. Great time. <laughs> well, as a guy who's only played it on the 360, I mean, I'm in no danger of hitting level 80 anytime soon. But I know, I can speak from experience, as soon as I'm up against that level cap, as soon as there's no more of any sort of reward system for me, yeah. I completely lose interest. Uh, yeah. It kills a game for me. So those the Ratchet and Clank games, for instance, that Insomniac did, you would get a weapon, and as you use the weapon, you would level it up. Uh, and they did different variations on this in the different Ratchet and Clank games. But every time I maxed a weapon out and it became the most powerful, badass, killing weapon that it was ever going to be, I was immediately done with it. I would never shoot that thing again, because unless I'm advancing something in a game that uses a system of advancement, I just lose interest. It's terrible. Uh, So, uh, go ahead. Would it have been better for you if the weapons hadn't advanced at all, and you just picked up more powerful weapons? No, because that was a big pull for me, is, you know, whatever, they did different systems in the different Ratchet and Clanks, but it was almost always based on giving you some immediate, or some upcoming shift for the weapon that that you controlled by using the weapon. Um, So if it was just a matter of finding different weapons, 
I don't know. I don't know. I, I just loved that part of Ratchet and Clank. And, and ironically, as soon as the weapon was as good as it was ever going to be, I was done with it. Uh, so I, I like leveling up the weapon. And then once I'm done with that, I don't care about the weapon anymore. It's weird. Uh, it's the chase. It's, you know, it's the same thing with Call of Duty. It's the chase. You know, just... <laughs> well, you, you know what, Professor? That's a great example that you bring up. It is the same thing with Call of Duty, and they do that whole... I forget the word for it, but, you know, uh, you can... Elite. You can, elite, yeah. You, you reset your level because you still want to chase something. Um, and so that's kind of how Skyrim is going to work now. Prestige. It's not Elite, it's Prestige. Prestige, prestige right. Elite is their online service, Professor. Right, right, I'm right. sure you're a member of. Yes. Uh, I had that free membership uh, for a year, and then yeah, I didn't resubscribe to yeah. Uh, so, all right. So now, uh, those of us who need our treadmills, we can keep running them in um, Skyrim. Right now on the PC, and later this month on your Xbox 360, or if you were so unfortunate, on your PS3. Yeah, one year on your PS3. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's then talk games of the week because I can't wait to see what Blair Fraser has chosen for his game of the week. Where what do you got? It can be a board game. It can be an iPad game, because I know you're so fond of iPad games. It can be a PC game that you won't be able to play in a few years, because PCs are dying. Uh, what <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to pick a board game, but I'm going to go with the game I put the most time into this week. Real, real quick, what did you have a specific board game you were going to pick? Uh, no, I was just going to look through them and say, you know, which one had entertained me recently. Probably just because I, I do, we have talked board games before. What's in your rotation lately? Like, what board games have you been dinking around with lately? Uh, I'm back on the Seven, seven Wonders train. Okay. <laughs> and and I, I, know, I know that uh, you've had some, some negative things to say about it, but I like it. So, <laughs> more importantly, yes. Mother and my fiance like it. So, <laughs> so that particular gaming group, thumbs up for Seven Wonders, right? Exactly. exactly. All right, so you didn't pick Seven Wonders. Then what, what took its place then? Um, gratuitous Space Battles. Ah. Um, absolutely had a blast with it. Um, I actually bought it a long time ago, but I didn't put much time into it because I was busy. Um. But what really hooked me, actually I hated the game earlier in the week, or earlier in the last seven days. It was, I built one fleet, mm-hmm. and it annihilated every one of the provided missions. So I, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't making any strategic decisions. So you just uh, exit the content, and you're like done with it, right? Like that kind of exactly. thing? Exactly. What changed? Mm-hmm. What changed is I, I'm like, oh, I didn't click that button yet. And it's this button called the challenges. And so you, you click this button, you go in there, and you... You, you see this huge list of scenarios uh, of that are set, these fleets set up with orders and ship designs that are done by other humans, yep. and you can you can sort by difficulty and enjoyment factors. And you know, I, I beat a few of them really easy, but then I, I I hit a few of them and they were tough as hell. And that's when I really got into like, okay, I'm going to need a couple of shifts in front to do this and they need to be designed this way I actually had to go in and lock all the equipment and examine all the properties of it I had to play with positioning of the, the fleets I had to play with the engines because you have to make sure that things arrive together at the right time different frigates cruisers bombers fighters the whole thing I had to get totally immersed in it and to beat these things and I absolutely loved it and I'll, I can't wait to play it some more tonight 
So it's it's a weird combination too of of being completely immersed in the details and rolling your sleeves up and making all this stuff. You know, you're talking about the composition of the ships and when they arrive and all and the setting up. And then when the actual battle happens, it's like you're you're shut out. Like you don't get to do anything. You're just watching to see how everything turned out. It's this weird combination of completely being immersed in, in controlling everything and then having to let go and just see what happens. And um, I love it. I love it. I was actually first introduced to that in the Dominion's turn-based series. Yep. Uh, Shrapnel games and stuff. Uh, and I, I really loved it there, uh, despite the production quality and the user interface, which drove me crazy. But I, I put a lot of time into 1, 2, and 3. And then to, to, to see it again in, a, in gratuitous space battles, which is more my genre, and higher production quality, I, I just loved it. And I still love it. And it really is, considering that, uh, you know, uh, oh, what is Cliff's last name? Cliff, the master, do you know the fellow who made uh, Gratuitous Space Battles? Oh, uh, oh. All that's in my head is the word Blazinski. That's not right. Frickin yeah, no, that's, that's not him, yeah. Uh, well, at any rate, his name is Cliff. Uh, I, I know the fellow. He's a great guy. He's a Brit. I love his sense of humor. Cliff Harris, thank you. Oh, apologies yeah. to Cliff. Uh, so Cliff Harris, who, who made it, you, you can see his sense of humor there. But considering how small a production that is, man, that game looks great. Just the amount of activity and just the spectacle of the ships blowing up. I mean, it's no sins of a solar empire, but it's still plenty sexy, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I like it. I like zooming in. I like going in slow motion and tracking the fighters and everything. The same sort of things I like doing in our game. Uh, but it's his and it's cool. Alright, uh, a little blast from the past. Uh, Gratuitous Space Battles. Uh, Cliff recently made a game called Gratuitous Tank Battles, which I only fiddled around with a little and it kind of bounced off me. But he was doing that tower defense slash reversible tower offense thing, where you can play it as a tower defense game, but you can also play it by configuring the tanks similar to Gratuitous Space Battles to try to punch through the towers. Um, and I don't know how successful that is for him. Um, but uh, that, that's his next thing. So I'd encourage folks who enjoy Gratuitous Space Battles, also check out Gratuitous Tank Battles and see if that works for you. Um, I will check that out tonight. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for more of that. Yeah. Uh, all right, McMaster, what have you chosen for your pick for Game of the Week? Um, my Game of the Week this week is Tomb Raider. Sweet. Because <laughs> I've been looking, I've been following your progress a little bit, McMaster. Uh, I've been like watching. Okay, how far is McMaster? You know, what what can we talk about? How far has he gotten? So, uh, McMaster, how far have you gotten in Tomb Raider, and how is it working for you? Um, I am in the shanty town outside of the palace, uh, and I like it a lot. Uh, it's it's a very very brutal game in a lot of ways. Uh, Not in but, terms of difficulty, but brutal how? Uh, just in sheer, just savagery. I mean, just, it's a very graphic game. It's very, uh, it's, it's very, has a much more realistic bent than, mm-hmm. well, most other games that I've played in quite some time. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's more of a, I can see it as being almost like a horror game to an extent, um, if it weren't for, it being Lara Croft in the setting. Well, I, mean, I think even with Lara Croft, I mean, there's, I think there's no reason to shy away from the word survival horror, other than the fact that it usually implies 
weird Japanese zombies Resident Evil games. Yeah, and zombies yeah. and whatnot. Uh, although, so here, McMaster, I just want to ask a question for you. Do you feel, given where you are, and I'm not trying to get into spoilers because I'm not going to answer the question, I just want to know what you think playing, uh, is there anything supernatural going on in Tomb Raider? What's your opinion? Because where yeah. you are, you don't, you don't really know. What's your opinion? Is there anything supernatural going on? Yes, at this point, I would say so. All right. Interesting. It's interesting you say that. I have no comment. Uh, but, yeah, the horror aspect, just in terms of, of how grim it is and the kind of terrible things that happen to, to Lara Croft and specifically how she reacts. I mean, she yeah. really does seem distressed, and she's she's cold and dirty and in pain and scared. and uh, It's uh, very human. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, yeah, and I, I love yeah, and I, I love that as an element of the game. Uh, I remember back in the 80s when all action movies were Jean-Claude Van Damme and Schwarzenegger and Stallone and just sort of invulnerable tough guys. Yeah. And then along comes this this action movie called Die Hard with this, this schlubby guy. I mean, not schlubby, this sort of just TV actor dude named Bruce Willis uh, running around being scared of getting shot. And when guns are fired at him, he doesn't just stand there and fire back. He cowers and he hunkers down. And he doesn't have suitable footwear for his adventure. And he doesn't even have a jacket. And he doesn't even have a real gun for a while. Uh, and it was this great shift from invulnerable superhuman action heroes to a vulnerable, frightened action hero in Die Hard. And I loved that shift. And this Tomb Raider reminds me a bit of that. Um, now, this Laura Croft, she's not a wisecracking John McClane by any stretch of the imagination, but just how she reacts to all these things and how vulnerable and human she is and what that does to me as an audience member slash player uh, and, and how the stakes feel to, to see the, my, the character reacting with, with fear and pain. Um, it, it makes for a completely different kind of experience, and I love it. Um, it's a, well, I'll put it to you this way, like, it's the kind of game that I've, so far I've enjoyed playing with, you know, with the lights off, kind of like, just really engrossing, because the, other than just her performance, the uh, environments, uh, and the sounds, and the, and the graphic engine, and the, the detail being played by, it's Crystal Dynamics, right? Yep, Crystal Dynamics. Um, is just, it's outstanding. Uh, they, they did an excellent job of, of rendering that world. Uh, have you found yourself, because uh, there's a very Arkham Asylum slash Arkham City structure to it with a lot of side quests and collectibles, um, and if you just want to grind for experience points or for salvage to upgrade your weapons, you can do that. Uh, how have you found that part, McMaster, versus just going through the storyline? Uh, I'm actually really enjoying that, too. Uh, I'm saving... See, oh god, and this gets back to just my personality, but uh, and we've talked about this before. Is I have a hard time just ignoring a main quest uh, because it's just I get all involved, and I'm like, you know, well, I probably should probably try to save this dude's life instead of like clicking, you know, dicking around and like reading people's journals and stuff. But <laughs> um, but I have done a few of the tombs at this point, and I think they're really cool. I really really like the tombs. Um, I was afraid, and this is not a, a slam on Assassin's Creed uh, necessarily, but like I was afraid we were going to get into like some Assassin's Creed 2, Uncharted kind of like uh, stuff like that, and it really isn't. And it's like nothing against those, but those are the parts of the games that usually drag for me the most, uh, and uh, 
I was really happy to see that it's it's not these huge elaborate productions. They're they're quite realistic uh, in certain ways. I mean, of course, you know, there's not going to be freaking lit candles and stuff in them, but uh, you know, it's, yeah, you uh, say that, McMaster, but I think. Uh, the idea is that the island is populated by a bunch of people who worship Hineko. Hineko? Well, so I right. think there are people running around these places lighting candles in the shrines and the torches. Because I've wondered about that. You know, that would happen in Uncharted. Is Nathan, uh, not Lane, but uh, Nathan... Right. Drake, thank you. Uh, Nathan Drake would uh, like get. He would solve a puzzle and open some mysterious door, and then go down into a tomb, and then fall down a trap, and then have to solve another puzzle to open a huge, massive stone gate that's been closed for hundreds of years. And then there's like thirty thugs, you know, waiting for him. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think this Tomb Raider is is I won't say realistic, but the conceit being that Laura is shipwrecked on an island inhabited by fanatic cultists. Uh, I think that does. You you won't find people in these tombs who haven't been able to get through the doors. And I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think you'll find things like lit torches in places that that the, the fanatics haven't been. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I could be wrong about that. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure. It's just, you know, but uh, otherwise, I mean, of course there is like that whole supernatural, uh, whether that being ghosts or, or just out of the ordinary. Or uh, is there? Oh, see, see. but, well, I'm not, okay, and I'm not talking about any figure. I mean, I'm just talking about like the, the weather itself. Like there, there are several places that you enter where things are happening that are obviously should not be happening. And it just seems. But then again, hey, maybe I don't know. I'm not Mr. Hundred um, <laughs> Percent. Well, that's true. Yes, I, I have hundred percented it. Well, you know, McMaster, there was a time where uh, people thought sailing around the southern tip of Africa uh, that that's where the devil got you, and that was not the devil. That was just weather. Oh, you sure it wasn't the devil? <laughs> that's actually, yeah, the, the jury could still be out. You can't really. Dis- you weren't there. That's a good point. Uh, but no, uh, the things that I like about the game so far, though, is it, it has a, a certain, I guess, touch of Lost to it. Oh, definitely. Uh, there's certainly this... Wait, this wait, McMaster, of- hold that thought real quick, because I just want to say real quick about the tombs. One of the things, and you touched on this, but one of the things that I want to make clear that I really like is each tomb is pretty much one like puzzle. puzzle or one gimmick yeah. like it's one thing that you get to there's no fighting there's no collectibles in tombs you, you when you go in a tomb you just know you have one little puzzle to solve and that's it i love that that amount of focus and i like that they did that i also like that they broke it up into like a bunch of them basically right. it's like a bunch of hidden areas that all have puzzles so that you don't feel like okay i'm playing the game I can either go devote an hour or whatever it's going to take me to go through this stupid like puzzle where I have to fall down over and over again until I eventually jump the right way and time it right. You can go and just kind of mess around with one, do it, and then you know keep doing whatever you were doing. Uh, but there's a there's a lot of interesting stuff to find on the island as well, so it's hard to kind of avoid just wandering. Well, the thing is, it's sort of like, okay, here's a tomb. You know what? I'm just going to go look at what the puzzle is. And it's not like, oh, God, what am I going to be in for here? It's like, you know what? There's going to be one thing. Let me just go look at the room and eyeball it uh, and then see if I want to do it. And if not, I'll do what I was doing. It's just a quick, I'm going to go peek real quick. Uh, I I like how how accessible that is. Now, you mentioned the Lost Connection, McMaster. Uh, 
So this idea of a mysterious island. The island, by the way, over the course of the game, like many of the characters, I love how they develop the island as a character. Uh, I love how much you learn about its history, how there may or may not be something weird going on, uh, who else has been here, what has happened to them. Uh, I love that part of it. And it's very lost, but without the uh, incomprehensibleness of the TV show. Yeah. Right. I mean, and there's certainly that horror element. There's the unknown element that just looms over the entire thing. And, like, their use of environments and weather uh, yeah. uh, up until the point that I'm at, at least, has just been superb. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I can't think of a better setting than some sort of, like, dark and stormy island where it's constantly that, that time of day, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you feel about the gunplay? Because there are times, specifically where you are, McMaster, where it gets very uh, shooter-heavy, you might say. Oh, intense. Uh, yeah, there are a few. Like, I just did one part where, with my bow and arrow, I killed, like, 700 dudes, like Rambo Part 2 style. <laughs> um, but, uh... And I love the bow and arrow. That's by far my favorite weapon. Um, you can do a lot of cool stealth stuff with it. But, uh, yeah, no, you know, I like the gunplay. And, um, I know you mentioned it uh, earlier. Uh, I put, uh, as my Skype picture, a, uh, picture of Nathan Drake is kind of a joke for Tom, but I really feel that, like, Tomb Raider has given Uncharted a run for its money in just about every category yeah. at this point, like, in the game at least, uh, because, like, Good God, the shooting is a lot better. The shooting is so good. Is uh, I mean, you say a lot. The shooting always felt like a kind of a, a compromise. Like like Uncharted, right. they wanted to do a sort of a fun, happy-go-lucky, romantic jaunt through that kind of Indiana Jones setting. And then every now and then you're having to play this kind of ill-conceived cover shooter that kind of work. You know, there's, it's fine in Uncharted. I'll but, tell you, it, to me, it's like it's like a, a, trying to to have an indoor shootout in a Rockstar game is what. <laughs> very nice. And Uncharted feels yes. to me. It's like you know they got the idea down, but but there's just like so many things you can run into, and there's so much cover issues and stuff like that. So. Perfectly put, McMaster. Yeah, uh, and one of the things that I kind of didn't even notice until I was playing for a while is the the natural cover in. In Tomb Raider, when Laura comes up to cover, she'll just naturally crouch. You're not pressing yeah. buttons to stick her to it. And it's not super sticky where you're trying to shoot, and, oh, dadgummit, I'm in cover now. Uh, it just feels really natural and fluid and, and easy. And I don't feel either like the levels are designed like, uh, what have I played lately? Where every, Well, it's certainly Uncharted had that, where the levels are designed as this sort of cover-based progression across a certain right. area from point A to point B. style. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, like, it just feels... There's a lot of Tomb Raider where it is kind of linear and that you go from point A to point B, but a lot of it just feels more organic. And that Shantytown, McMaster, that thing is crazy. Just yeah. as far as the layout and the different ways you can go through it and just how much there is to, to climb around on, and you see this point way over there, and you're like, can I get there? And yes, sure enough, you can get there. Uh, yeah, that Shantytown layout is just insane. And it's like nothing else you've seen in the game up to that point also. It's, um, it's pretty awesome, too, when you're playing through it and you get to a point where you find a new item and then you recognize the things that it affects because it's right. one of, it's definitely one of those kind of games where you play through a level and then you'll go back when you have your upgraded items and you can open new areas. McMaster, but, we call those, uh, those of us in the know, call that a Metroidvania. I, I knew you were going to say that, but 
I didn't really want to compare it because it just doesn't make sense. But whatever. I mean, you want to <laughs> really? You don't reference Zelda with that either. Is that a, uh, that's that's Blair. That would be the reference you would make to a small child to explain it. To uh. you. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the coolest things in the Zelda series is being able to do that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, but uh, there's there's all sorts of that in it, uh, which is uh, which is a huge, huge appeal. And, uh, all and the they, they've also done a great job, McMaster, of making everything. It's a little contrived, but I can understand the reason. Making it very clear what you can interact with in what way. You know, so if you've been going through the game and you get to a point where your bow can ha- attach a rope to it and can be used to pull something, mm-hmm. you know, it's clearly indicated by having rope wrapped around that surface. And you'll remember, oh, wait a minute, in the mountain village there were all those things dangling around that had yeah. rope hanging on them. I should go back and look at that. Um, right, absolutely. They, they just do such a great job of clearly building into the environment and expressing all the different modes of interaction. And that has to do with Laura's weapons as well as her traversal abilities, you know, where she can jump. what. Like, for instance, if you can jump on a zip line, they put a ramp there. You know, yeah. every time you can jump up on a zip line, that's fine. It looks a little contrived, but they, they built it in the environment, but it's a ramp there. And so you know, oh, a ramp means I can just run off this edge and she's going to grab the zip line rather than fall to her death. Um, so, yeah, just as far as environmental building not just aesthetically and narratively, but in terms of gameplay mechanics, they've just done an amazing job. Yeah, yeah, it's it really is uh, something else. But it's definitely not what I would have expected at all. Yeah, uh, I am a little sad that I did like hundred percent it. I mean, not the only. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of uh, achievements for multiplayer, and uh, the multiplayer is just so completely. I, I just couldn't care less about it. I've played it a little bit, and it just doesn't work for me. Uh, but I'm kind of sad that it's not. It's not one of those games like like Dead Space Three is kind of built to be played over and over, and there's new yeah. modes, and there's there's really nothing like that in Tomb Raider, which is fine. That's not how it was built. It's very much an adventure about this one character's. Uh, progression through this the story uh, there's kind of nothing to do once you've gone back and done all the quests and uh, and collected all the collectibles which are worth getting by the way uh, even McMaster have you found those little GPS things I found uh, a bunch of them so far I found well, like, McMaster if you don't get if you don't get all of them you're gonna miss out on a cool story beat what do you think of that oh, so, all right, McMaster, uh, Tomb Raider, your game of the week. That means I don't have to pick it, because uh, otherwise that would be my game of last week and this week and a couple weeks ago and maybe next week. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, just, I, I love that thing. I don't know. I don't know how they managed it, but they made Tomb Raider like the grittiest story, you know, I've seen in a long time, and it makes Max Payne three look like. Max Payne 2. Oh, snap, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, it really does remind me of the way that Rocksteady rebooted Batman and even the way that uh, Sam Mendes rebooted uh, James Bond with Skyfall. I mean, it's taking this character yeah. that's so familiar to me and that I honestly could not care less about and having a, a, a slightly new take on it that just makes me sit up and notice and, and suddenly care. You know, I loved Skyfall, everybody loved Arkham Asylum, and now this Tomb Raider is just so freaking good. I mean, it's an example, 
It, it, it's, I think it's the best game I've played since Bioshock. Uh, and wow. I, I, yeah, I, I love it. Uh, arguably better. Well, I don't know that I'd go there, but uh, you know, every bit as good as what Bioshock did. As far as here is a great way that video games can tell stories and present characters. It's it's a very well written game too. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's very well written and voice acted for the most part too. So. Yep, Camilla Luddington is that the name of the actress? I don't know. No, she's she's very good, yeah. Uh-huh. All right, uh, Blair, are you a Tomb Raider person? Not really, no. I, I never got into it initially, and I, I'm a big theme person, and I just the Indiana Jones Tomb Raiding aspect of it is just not my thing. Um, well, now it sounds like I'm missing out based on what you guys just described because I was excited listening to that. So, well, yeah, I mean, this is a little different than the original. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it certainly sounds like I don't remember anything like that when I, my friends were talking about it back in the day. Oh no, it's definitely a, re- a reboot, and I do wonder, McMaster, like wh- where do they go from here? I mean, obviously there will be another. You know, this is rebooting the franchise. Square Enix isn't going to just say, "Okay, we're done." Uh, now, I don't want to say anything that happens at the end, but of course, you know, I, here you go. She doesn't die, so I hope that doesn't. Oh, ruin imagine anything. that. You know, but. <laughs> but where where can she go? Like this is like once in a lifetime situation. It's when she's she's shipwrecked. She doesn't feel like she's up to it. She just wants to stay alive and get off the island. Um, you know, she's not this badass adventurer at the beginning of the game. Once she gets to the end of the game, she becomes the Laura Croft that or she becomes closer to the Laura Croft that we knew. So now what? You know, what can they do now? And and I don't know, but I trust they'll they'll come up with something. So. Uncharted too happened. And it was better than the first one, as I expected that. If you say so, McMaster. And see, you know what? Uncharted 2 happened is the perfect example of everything that can go wrong. Because I loved the first Uncharted, and then Uncharted 2 happened, and then Uncharted 3 happened. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge 3 fan, but I thought 2 was pretty good overall. All right. Well, and I'm sure you'll love whatever they do with Tomb Raider 2, and I'm going oh. to be the stick in the mud going, Tomb Raider was better. Tomb Raider 1 was better. You always are, you know. That's everybody's true. got their role. <laughs> uh, all right, well, I was going to pick as my Game of the Week Tomb Raider because I certainly love it, but uh, I will instead briefly kvetch about uh, SimCity, <laughs> which, uh, man, I love I love their concept. I love this idea of they give you a little tiny box to build your city in. You're not going to have nearly enough room. Uh, you're going to be so limited by what you can build in there. But because you're online and all your other friends are playing, they can make stuff to help your city, and you can make stuff to help their city. And it becomes this very social, hey, I'm going to build power plants, and you build sewage, and I'll take care of the hospitals, and that guy over there is going to make the police force. Um, I love that concept. But it's just in such awful shape right now, and I'm not even talking about the, the launch issues. For instance, McMaster... I need you to build a city. All right. Just make hospitals. You know, you're going to need some base population, but I just want you to make hospitals, uh, put a bunch of ambulances in your hospitals, add these wellness centers that give you vans that drive around and, and do preventative health care for people so they don't get sick in the first place. Um, and then what I want you to do, McMaster, is make a whole bunch of them so you don't need all of them, and then send the extras over to my city, which you can do. You then go to a larger level, and, and you say, okay, I'm going to send everything. These, this many ambulances and wellness vans over to uh, Chickville. That will be the name of my city. Great. It sounds awesome. And you know what you get in exchange, McMaster, for building this and sending it to my city? Hmm. Nothing. 
awesome. That does sound great. <laughs> I think the idea is supposed to be that you then make money. Like you're basically using this extra health care coverage that you created you're, you're basically selling it to my city. And that's right. how it's presented, by the way, if you have a bunch of extra power. It even tells you when you send it to my city, it even tells you how much money you're going to make but for how many megawatts you're selling to my city. And you know how much money you actually get, McMaster? Zero? Very good. You're learning. You're learning how to play SimCity. <laughs> now, so I can't... there's no reason. So I guess like garbage collecting is not very popular in the current sim world. McMaster, guess how much money you make if I send all my garbage over to your town? Zero? Very good. You got it. Now, I can only hope that right now it's either you're making the money under the table and they're not showing it, or it's maybe a glitch or something that doesn't work. But the problem, and this shouldn't be a problem with a game like SimCity, is that there's so much data in this thing. You know, when it comes down to it, it's just a huge spreadsheet with a really lovely graphics frosting on top of it, of, of a city, and it is lovely. But they, there's so much data that you can look at. So, you know what? I don't know if the guys at EA know this, but I can tell that I'm not getting any money from sending power to McMaster City. I can tell that when I send ambulances somewhere, I make zero space bucks from that. You know, all this this lovely data that they're laying bare is also demonstrating that their game isn't working the way it's supposed to work at this point. Um, so hopefully I just haven't figured it out yet, or there's some kind of weird bugs going, uh, or, I, you know, it's it's just not listed in this, the, the data. I mean, hopefully it's a problem with how I'm looking at things and not the game itself. Because right now their whole design process, this whole basis of, of cities cooperating with each other, it's busted. It doesn't work. There's no incentive for it. Uh, and I would really hate to think that that's that it's just smoke and mirrors. Uh, right. No, that would be awful. Yeah. I don't know how that would have went out. Like, if that's the fundamental hook, um, how would that not have gotten noticed? I, I that, that seems absurd to me. I know. Yeah. And, and, and maybe it's just that they don't really expect people to care about the data stuff. Like maybe they just want people to only, hey, I'm going to build a big city, and just out of, for altruistic reasons, I'm going to send all my ambulance over to McMaster City. I mean, maybe that's the level they want it to play at. But as a strategy gamer, as a guy who loves looking at data and and jiggering the numbers and and managing resources, because I love the, the resource management stuff, I want to know those numbers. I want to look at that stuff. Like, I want to build a city that is focused on on drilling for oil and then selling that oil on the global market and making money. You know, that's how I want to do it. And if I'm going to play it that way, I need McMaster to send the ambulances over to take care of my sick people because I'm busy drilling for oil. And if McMaster doesn't have any incentive to do that, the whole freaking thing falls apart. If I expect McMaster to do it just out of the goodness of his heart, actually, McMaster, you would do it. But other players yes. wouldn't do it. Uh, so, yeah. What a capitalist. <laughs> Thank you. You know what? Yeah, it's a game for socialists. It's a game. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so it, uh, yeah, exactly. But of all the, the companies that I would expect to understand the importance of making a buck, it's Electronic Arts. I'm sure of that. So, all right. So there's my game of the week. Just because it's in pretty rough shape, hopefully it'll come around. Uh, if you'd like to join us, by the way, in our our. Uh, 
utopia of idealism and altruism that doesn't involve actually making any money, uh, go to the forums at quarter to three and you'll find a thread that will show you how you can get into one of our larger, they're called regions, and each region can have multiple cities in it, uh, and, and you can join us there. Um, also, a quick plug, I constantly forget to do this, if you're shopping at Amazon.com, we love it when you use our little box, uh, our search box on the front page of quarter to three. Um, so support quarter to three, use that search box. We have a donation button, by the way. We love that as well. Um, and uh, uh, rate us on iTunes. You know, we, we really love it when you do that. So, uh, And then finally, uh, Sins of a Dark Age, currently available for, uh, you said it was a founder's program, Blair? That's what you're calling it? Yeah, we're in closed beta. Uh Quite playable, uh, but with limited content. But you get some. If you get a founder's pack, you get stuff that you'll never be able to get again. Yeah. And you'll get an early look at the cool realm quests and and what sets you guys apart from uh, other mobas. So I encourage folks uh, check out Sins of a Dark Age. Uh, McMaster, what are we bringing folks next week? The pain. Oh, um, <laughs> news and games of the week and and the pain. All right, so join us for news, games, and pain, uh, as well as a, uh, a very special topic. And I only say that because I don't know what it's going to be yet. So there it is. It's very special. Uh, Blair, thank you so much for hanging out with us today, uh, and we wish you the best of luck with uh, Sins of a Dark Age. Thanks for having me, guys. And we will see everyone next week. The lines are drawn, the orders are in, the task commanders are ready to send, radio message from HQ, task commander, we love you, let's get this party started right, y'all. Let's get this party started, right? I went to the store to get more, fire, to start the war, everybody in this club is whack, I feel like I'm headed straight for a heart attack, girls are pretty, girls are nice, take your chances, roll the dice. All right, let me make sure everything recorded, which...